Amen and amen. So yeah, I'm that guy in that video. I'm Stanley Lane. I am, uh, first of all, I'm a child of God. Uh, that's who I am. Uh, secondly, I am married to a wonderful wife, Dawn. Uh, we've been married for 18 years. I'm also a father of six kids, five boys and one girl. And like the video just told y'all, I'm also the church planner uh, for Connection Church, Wilco. So if you don't know anything about Wilson County, it's a very small county. I actually grew up in this county. Um, it's about 9,000 people total in the county. And so when we, the Lord laid it on our heart to go and plant a church, we got looking at these bigger cities, Warner Robins, uh, Sandersvilles, and then God really laid it on our heart to go to Wilkeson County. And my prayer was, is like, Lord, there's nothing in Wilkeson County. And there's nothing but chalk mines and Maybobs. That's it. That's, uh, I think we have one uh, stoplight in Wilkeson County, but the Lord made it clear. He's like, Stanley, that's why I need you there. Um, he don't really need me there, but he wants us there. Because I really believe that God is going to do more than I can imagine in Wilkeson County. I do uh, really believe that he wants to rebuild, restore, and renew Wilkeson County. So Wilkeson County, just to let you know, uh, uh, it's really poverty-stricken. Uh, not only that, it's you know, drugs is, is a big thing. Religion's a big thing. A lot of single parents raising kids. And so that's why the Lord has told us to go and plant a gospel-centered church, because that's the only thing that's going to change Wilkeson County is the gospel of Jesus. Um, so we had laid our yes on the table, and here we go. Uh, so the Lord has, uh, in the video it said that we didn't have many workers, um, but that has changed. So the Lord has put about 17 adults in our living room. So we meet on Sunday nights doing our core team, going over mission, vision, the cultures, the priorities, uh, what we want to do at Connection Church. Also teaching a lot of our core team uh, about the culture of Wilkeson County because a lot of our core team actually comes from Dublin. So the Dublin Connection Church is the one that is actually sending us out from Dublin. And so, yeah, God has really placed um, some amazing people in our living room. Again, we meet on Sunday nights, uh, and we have 17 adults and I think about 28 kids. So um, I know our first hire would be a KK minister, um, but, uh, yeah, God has really blessed us. And... Uh, but this morning, I know that y'all are in a sermon series called A Limitless Church, and you guys have been going through what limits the church for being powerful and effective. And I'm, I'm a word guy, so I like to study words. And so I looked up these two words, limitless and church. That word limitless means this. It means without end or without boundaries or having unlimited resources. And the word church, Brandon did a good job two weeks ago talking about the church and what the church is and what the church isn't. So the church isn't a building, right? You don't really get to go to church. It's the church going to a building. That's what it is. Um, the church is just not a group of people. We hear a lot of times that the church is a group of people. It is a group of people, but it's just not any people. It's the chosen people of God. It's the chosen people of God, people who have surrendered their life to Christ. So if you put these two words together, the limitless and the church, what you have is to be a limitless church means that you are a follower of Jesus that has everything you need to do what he's called you to do. So this morning, what we're going to look at what it takes, what it takes to be a limitless church. And we're going to be in uh, chapter 4 of Acts. If you want to go ahead and turn there or cut on your iPad or iPhone or whatever you have. And while you're doing that, I just kind of want to give you some context of where we're going into. So in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, Jesus has just died, and he just rose from the dead. He spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them. 
And then as he gets ready to ascend into heaven, he tells the disciples to go and wait. He tells them to go and wait and wait on the Holy Spirit. And then he told them, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, that's when you'll go out and you'll make disciples of all nations. I'm paraphrasing there. So that's exactly what the disciples have done. They went into an upper room and they wait, waited on the Holy Spirit to come. And then we get into chapter 2. And chapter 2, what it's showing us is what God promised, he delivered. So the Holy Spirit comes and dwells the, the disciples. And then we watch the disciples go out. And they go out and they start sharing the gospel. And we see many signs, many miracles happen. Matter of fact, in the end of chapter 2, we're told that the Lord added to their numbers that those that are being saved day by day. So this church started growing rapidly and, and growing throughout the world. And then we get in chapter 3, and it's, we actually get to see the disciples, Peter and John. And what they did, they were going out, they're sharing the gospel. Lame beggar comes up to them, and he wants to be healed. They laid hands on him, he was healed. And then we get into the chapter 4, which we're fishing to read. And so what's happened is, because this lame beggar has become healed, it, it's caught a lot of attention. It's caught a lot of attention, and that's where we're coming in in chapter 4. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive right in, okay? So uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who grew or who believed grew to about 5,000. That was just men. Uh, the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the high priest's families. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and this man stands before you healed, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And uh, this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. It says, when they, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I just thank you again for who you are. God, thank you for what you're doing throughout the world, what you're doing here in Statesboro, what you're doing in Dublin and, and, and Wilkinson County, God, and to the ends of the earth. And God, I thank you for allowing us to be a part of that mission. And God, um, I just pray for our time this morning, Lord. I just pray that your word would go forth and just do what it does, that it would convict, it would encourage, God. It would change hearts. And, and, and so, Lord, I just pray that it would do that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would speak through me and to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, the big question is, do you have what it takes? Do you have what it takes to be that limitless church? So this question is a question that limited me from doing what God called me to do. And so just to give you a little bit, bit of story about me, um, I didn't come up in ministry. I did not. So straight out of high school, I tried out college. 
Uh, college was not for me. I, I didn't like school. I found out quick that I didn't have what it took to stay in college. So I did just like whatever uh, young man in Wilson County or a lot of what, what young men in Wilson County do. I quit college. I went into the chalk mining industry. So in Wilson County, Wilson County is known for their chalk mines, which is kaolin. It's mining chalk. And chalk goes in a lot of different things. But I started in this chalk mine. I started at the bottom and on a front-end loader, and, and I continued to work my, my way up until I got into a management position. And, um, and, and, and during that work period, God has started, I started growing in my relationship with Jesus. And that's another story for another day, but um, testimony gave my life to, to Christ when I was 12. I said the prayer at 12, got baptized at 12. I lived like hell from 12 to about 21. And, um, but the Lord really caught, caught me. I mean, he sent another guy, Wes Warnock, to come and disciple me. He walked me through the Gospels. But anyway, my wife and I got married and on a honeymoon. She said, Stanley, I want to raise our kids in, in, in church. And I was like, well, we can do that. And, and so we started going to church. I started growing my relationship with Jesus. And then I just started getting a hunger for the Lord. And I, I got fired up, and I wanted to share the Gospel, how God had changed my life. I wanted to share it with other people. And so I started doing that. I started doing it as I went. Uh, as I went to the Piggly Wiggly, and as I went to the Dollar General, and as I went to Maybaz, as I went to work, I would share the gospel with all that would hear it. And then I started seeing guys and people started coming to faith. I, people started giving their life to Christ. And then I, I got this title, like, Stanley's the pastor. And I'd ask people, was like, are you a pastor? I'm like, no, I am not a pastor. You know, all I want to do is love Jesus, love my family, and go to work. That's what I want to do. And, uh, but God started tugging at my heart, and, and, and really I felt like he was calling me into ministry, but I, I told God, I was like, God, I can't do what you're calling me to do. I cannot stand on a stage in front of people and talk. I'm introverted. I don't like to be around a lot of people. I love people, but the more people I'm around, the more energy it sucks out of me. And so I, I started giving God all these different excuses. God, I'm not a good speaker. Just every excuse you could imagine. Well, then... It seemed like everything, everybody that was in my boat, so the people I worked with, my family, my friends, it just seemed like they were just in this storm, and all this rockiness was happening. Our marriage was rocky. A lot of things were happening, and one day I was on the mower. I was cutting grass, and that's where God and I meet. For some reason, he speaks on the Exmark lawnmower, but um, he, started, I, he started speaking through the book of Jonah. I was listening to a Jonah series through, uh, from uh, J.D. Greer, and the Lord really hit me, and I, I heard him clearly. He said, Stanley, you are Jonah. And I shut the mower off, and I was like, what did I just hear? He's like, you're Jonah. When are you going to stop running from what I called you to do? So I, I cut the mower off, and again, I sat there, and I wept, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I don't feel qualified to do what you're calling me to do. I don't even want to do what you're calling me to do. But my yes is on the table. But I just need help figuring it out. I need help figuring it out of doing what you have called me to do. And so, long story short, ended up in a connect group at Connection Church. I, I wasn't attending Connection Church, and they get talking about next steps in these, in these connect groups. And somebody confirmed in that group that said, Stanley, you're, you're called a pastor. And I was like, here we go. I said, would you meet with our pastor, Buck? And I was like, I don't really want to, but I will. So I did. I mess, met with Buck, and, and Buck went to go talking, and I stopped Buck in his tracks. I said, look, Buck, I said, I'm not... I'm not interested in joining another church. I said, I know what God's called me to do. I just need help figuring it out. Do I need to quit my job? Do I need to go in seminary? What do I need to do? 
He said, well, Stanley, let me tell you what we're about. We're about pulling people in, equipping them to do what God's called them to do, and then we want to send them back out. And that is not only church planning. That's missionaries. That's uh, connect group leaders. Um, that's leaders into the community, and that's what Connection Church is all about, is equipping people to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. So prayed about it, fast about it, and then I felt like the Lord was leading me to step away from my career in the chalk mine industry, six-figure salary, 401K, bright future, you know, and, and, and take a leap of faith. And so that's what we did, and it's been awesome. I will say I've enjoyed every bit of it. It has been a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of anxiety, but there's also been a lot of peace, and there's been a lot of joy, not only for me, but for my family as well. So going back... Um, to Acts chapter 4 and that question of do you have what it takes to do what God's called you to do and so in chapter 4 we see these groups of two people well the first group we see is these Sadducees these priests these temple guards these are religious people so these people had knowledge of the Bible they had power they had wealth uh, matter of fact it says by the age of 12 years old these people would have memorized the first five books of the Bible now, me, I have a hard time memorizing five scriptures in the Bible, but they have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Um, they were devoted. You know, they prayed again. They fasted. They, they attended church every time the doors were open. Their, their, their career was ministry. And so the world's view of these people were, these are some people that have what it takes to be a limitless church, to do what God's called them to do. But last week, uh, Brandon did an awesome job of, of showing us that these guys were actually the ones that, limit, limited the church then and they, they limit the church now is these religious people. Um, what they do is they, they put these burdens on people that people can't carry themselves. So that's the first group of people. The second group of people that we see is Peter and John. They're disciples of Jesus. And in order to be a disciple of Jesus, that just means you're following Jesus. You're not only following him, you're doing what he did. And in verse 12, it tells us that these guys were ordinary, unschooled men. Un, uh, ordinary, unschooled men. So again, these guys didn't make that rabbi cut in school. They couldn't memorize the first 12 books of the Bible. So what they had to do if they didn't, they didn't cut, make the cut, they just had to go do what their fathers did. And so John and Peter, what they did, they went and been fishermen. That's what their fathers did. That's what they did. It don't sound like a bad gig to me. I'd love to fish for a living. Um, but that's what they did. So these guys were normal everyday guys that were called by Jesus to follow him. And so they left everything behind. Uh, they laid their yes on the table and they left everything behind and they followed Jesus. So the world would have viewed these guys as guys that were limited in what they could do for God. And that's how the world would have viewed them. So that question, do I have what it takes? Now, this question, a lot of us has probably asked ourselves, do I have what it takes? Think about school. I know a lot of you students are or finish up um, the end of the school year, and you know, do I have what it takes to, to pass my finals? Do I have what it takes to get that, that diploma? Um, or in sports, um, do I have what it takes to make the team or go to the next level? You know, me, I wanted, my dream was to play on the, the, American, or the Atlanta Braves and, and um, play for them, second baseman. That didn't work out, so then I said, well, man, I can, I can go into the UFC. I'd love to do that. Well, that didn't work out as well, but... I didn't have what it took to go to the next level. So what about jobs? Have you ever asked that question in your job? Do I have what it takes 
to get that promotion? Or when you got that promotion, do I have what it takes to do that job? Every time I got a promotion at work, I'd get in that new job and I'm like, I think I've overstepped my boundaries. You know, I don't think I have what it takes. Or what about this, marriage? Do I have what it takes to get that guy or that girl? Or do I have what it takes to be a, the husband or wife that God has called me to be? You know, my wife, I've really outpunted my coverage with her. I've, um, I don't deserve her. She is a blessing. I wouldn't be playing a church without her. Um, she's a blessing. What about this? Uh, about kids. Do I have what it takes to be a good parent? <laughs> you know, I have six kids, and every single kid that we had, I'd ask this question. Do I have what it takes for one more kid? And do I have more love? How, how do you love a kid as much as the first one, you know? But God just continues to give love. I don't love any of my kids no more than the other, if you're out there. Um, but I also didn't have what it takes to stop having kids either. So we just had six kids. Um, so, but just to be honest, we've all asked this question in our, in our lives. At some point in our life, do, do I have what it takes? But what I really want to talk about t- this morning is, do I have what it takes to do what God has called me to do? When it comes to spiritual things, do I have what it takes? And I think all of us, again, have asked this question. Like I told you before, I've asked this question over and over again. Matter of fact, this morning, I didn't sleep very well. I was nervous because Wilkes County's small, and this is the biggest crowd I ever spoke to. But um, I asked that question. That, that question comes, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? But I love watching people's response when they're asked to do something spiritual, right? So when you ask somebody, hey, would do you mind praying for us out loud in, in front of a, in a group? You get that response of a bug-eyed, people shake, you know, and, and um, they kind of shake their head no. And, and so I've done that too. I've been there. No judgment. I remember um, growing in my relationship with Jesus. I remember in, a, in, in church service, I would leave early because I knew that the pastor was going to call me to pray at the end. So i just go to the bathroom. Um, so what about this? What about uh, leading a Bible study? You know, do I have what it takes? You ever ask that question? Do I have what it takes to lead a Bible study, to lead a, a connect group? Or how about this? Sharing the gospel with somebody. Sharing the gospel with a loved one or sharing the gospel with a coworker. You know, I don't have what it takes to do that. Or talking to the men. What, what about leading your family spiritually? What about leading your family into a family devotion or, or praying with your wife and kids? You know, you may be thinking, Stanley, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Well, if you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have the Bible, you have everything you need to lead your family um, the way that God wants you to lead them. But why is this? Why is this? And for me, and I think it's this for everybody or a lot of people, it's fear, it's doubt, and it's insecurities. They just take over. The enemy comes and he whispers in our ear, he says, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to do what God is calling you to do. And, it, and Satan has done this from the very beginning. He started this in, in the garden in Genesis. And, and what we just read in, in Acts chapter 4, he actually uses religion to try to stop what God is doing. He, he tries to stop. Um, in verse 3, we see that that Peter and John are they're, they're seized, they're arrested, and then they're, they, they try to shut them up. But in verse 4, it starts with that word, but. When anytime you see but in the scripture, it cancels out anything before it, right? Um, so, but it says that many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Again, that was just men. So some people think it's about 10,000 with the women. 
But Satan cannot stop God's perfect plan. He cannot stop it. So what I want to do, I want to take us back to, to Exodus chapter 3. Um, and you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. Exodus chapter 3. It's one of my favorite heroes of the faith. It's Moses. I just feel like I relate a lot to Moses. Um, Moses, and we see that Moses is at the age of 80 years old. He's working for his father-in-law. He's tending sheep, which don't sound very successful. Uh, we also are told that he's a murderer. Uh, he actually killed an Egyptian out of anger. We also see that he wasn't a very good speaker. He said he had a speech impediment. I feel um, right there with him on that. But from the burning bush, God gave Moses an assignment. So Moses comes to a burning bush, and God gives him an assignment. He told Moses that he was going to send him to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. But Moses immediately began to question what God had told him to do. And Moses was basically saying, I don't have what it takes, God, to do what you're calling me to do. But Moses is, um, but God's response, I love it, it's in chapter 3 starting in verse 10, and this is God speaking. And God says this, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, here he goes questioning, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And I want you to underline that in your Bible. If you write in your Bible, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. They, and they ask me, what is, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So I want, to, I want you to notice what God didn't tell Moses. <laughs> he didn't tell Moses, Moses, you're going to do great things for me in the kingdom. He didn't tell Moses that you are awesome at what you do. Moses, you're, you're a great leader. He didn't tell Moses that. He didn't even tell Moses, he's like, I'm going to give you this great power to help you do um, what I've called you to do. God simply told Moses, I am. He simply said, I am. And tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. But then Moses continued to, 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 to tell God why he couldn't do what he, he, he was called to do. He even told him, he says, I'm not very good at words. I told you the same thing. I got a slight speech impediment. Um, but God told him again, he says, I am. Now go do what I told you to do. And he also gives him the, that promise. He says, I am with you. I'll go with you. So many times we feel that nudge. We feel that nudge of God to do something. And we say, I don't have what it takes. Or we say, I'm not blank enough. You fill in that blank. This may be true, but, when God, uh, but God says, when you are not, I am. So you may say, God, I'm not smart enough to do what you've called me to do. God says, I am. You may say, God, I just, I'm not a very loving person. God says, I am. You say, God, I'm not very bold. God says, I am. God, I'm not very confident. God says, I am. <laughs> God, I, I, I'm, I'm, not a good, I'm not a great father. God says, I am. 
And he says, he is. And he says, go. And he gives us the promise. He says, I am, and I'll go with you. That should give us all some hope. But as you continue to watch the story of Moses, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what would happen is um, Moses was being obedient. God would give him a step. Moses would take it. God would give him another step. Moses would take it. God would give him another step, and Moses, and he just kept continuing to do it. You know, I think of my son, my youngest son. He, he's a Lego fanatic. He loves to put Legos together, and for Christmas, that's what he gets. His birthdays, that's what he gets, and he'll have a 3,000-piece a Lego set, and what he does, he don't look at the picture and just start putting things together. What he does, he goes to step one. He does step one. He does step two, and then by the end of all the steps, he has this beautiful piece um, that looks like, uh, the front of the picture. So what is your next step? What is God calling you to do? In Matthew 28, we're told, and, and this kind of gets preached at every Connection Church, is, is what God calls us to do is, is go make disciples of all nations. That's for every single one of us. We all have that call to go make disciples. Now, my way may be a little different than your way. I'm called to go plant a church in Wilkinson County. Your way may be, he might be calling you into missions. Um, you're, he may be calling you just to share the gospel with your coworker, your family member, or, or your neighbor. Um, but we're all called to go and make disciples. And you say, Stanley, I really don't hear God telling me to do anything. I don't hear God's voice. Well, John 10, 27 says this. It says, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So as loving as I can possibly say this, maybe God isn't your shepherd. And maybe you're not his sheep. I got good news, though. Today can be the day that he becomes your shepherd and you become his sheep. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Or you may be in here and he's like, Stanley, I am a believer. He is my shepherd. But I just hadn't heard him in a while. I hadn't heard him tell me do anything. Well, maybe it's because you hadn't done the last thing that he told you to do. See, God's not going to give you a next step if you hadn't done the last one that he called you to do. You know, I, I'd have never been standing right here if I hadn't have took that first step of obedience and faith. So what's the last thing that God has told you to do? I highly encourage you, just take that next step. It's scary. It is scary. Planting a church in Wilkinson County, it was, it's scary. Leaving a job, a six-figure salary, and, and, and stepping out in faith, man, that is scary. But I'm telling you, there's so much joy and peace because I know that promise. That promise that he told Moses and the promise he told the disciples is, is a promise for you too. He promises to go with you, to go with you and be in step with you. Not only go with you, he's there before you get there. So I want to be honest with you. I keep asking you, do you have what it takes? Do you have what it takes to do what God's calling you to do? And maybe you don't have what it takes. You say, Stanley, it ain't very encouraging but I want, to, I want to take you back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, when the, he told the disciples to go and wait. He told them to go and wait. Now, if I was a disciple, I have just watched Jesus die and rose, rise from the dead. He just spent 40 days teaching me, and then I saw him ascend into heaven. I'm supposed to go tell somebody what I saw, right? But Jesus said, no. He said, you go and wait. And who did it, or what, or who did he say wait on? The Holy Spirit. He told them to wait on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God knew. God knew what he was calling them to do was an impossible t task without him. Was, was without him. <clears throat> so God knew Moses didn't have what it takes to do what he called him to do. 
He knew uh, Moses' insecurities. He knew his disabilities. He knew his faults. He knew everything about, about him, but yet God chose to use him, just like God chose to use the disciples, and God is choosing to use you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, it really gives us some hope. It says, brothers and sisters, that's every single one of us as believers, it says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So God uses unschooled, uh, un ordinary people. God uses broken people. Why? Because he wants to shine through them so he could get the glory. Now, God could have went and he could have picked the Sadducees, the priests, the temple, all those religious people. He could have picked them. They had everything they need from the world's view, but God knew their hearts. He knew their hearts that they would, they would make it about them. How many of you know a Sadducee? Anybody in this room know a Sadducee? You know why? Because they died out 70 years after Jesus rose from the dead. Because they, they ran off religion. They ran off religion instead of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so the question isn't, um, isn't so much, do you have what it takes to be a limitless church? The question is really, do you have who it takes to be a limitless church? That who is the, the Holy Spirit, and it's Jesus. So for those who have a relationship with Jesus, that have surrendered their life to the Lord, I want to ask you this, what has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? Joby Martin is, a, is a, one of my favorite pastors, and he had this question. He said, if you could do anything for the glory of God and knew it wouldn't fail, what would you do? The next question was, then why aren't you doing it? Life is so short. And the only thing that you and I can take to heaven with us is people. It's people, so it matters. So, But what has God called you to do? Maybe it's to join a connect group. Maybe it's to to lead a connect group. And if you're not in a connect group, I highly encourage you to get in one. You can go to the next step tables and they will get you plugged into a connect group. That's where real, real life change happens. You get into community of people, you fellowship, you eat a meal, and you just do life together. And that iron sharpening iron, it changed my life. Or maybe God's calling you to just start discipling somebody, to, to come along somebody and, and to help meet them where they are and help them get to where God has called them to be. And you say, Stanley, I, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Again, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Bible. Just open it and read it. <laughs> start somewhere. Or maybe it's to start a Bible study in your workplace. Students, don't let anybody tell you that you're too young. The reason why the disciples are, are believed to be your age. When God chose them, they said they were, most of them were teenagers. And these teenagers changed the world. So don't let anybody look down on you for your age. God can use you. God wants to use you at your age now. Every person in this room is born on purpose for a purpose. You don't have to wait until you're an adult to go and share the gospel. You can start that now. Um, or maybe men, talking to the men in the room, husbands. Maybe it's discipling your family or praying for your wife. You can do it. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you have God's word. You can do it. He'll tell you. He'll, he'll go with you. So I don't know what your next step is, but I have a feeling that that God has laid it on your heart. You know right now what your next step is in your relationship with God. 
I would encourage you to just write that down right now. Whatever it is, I want you to write it down. I want you to start praying. Praying about it every day. Lord, help me to do this. And he'll be faithful in that. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and just play. But in Acts 4 and 8, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And later we're told that the religious people were astonished, even though that Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men. They noticed that they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> so if you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you've been walking with Jesus, you have who it takes to be a limitless church. You have who it takes to do what God's called you to do. And again, he wants to use every single one of you. We all play a part in this. You just need to step out in faith. Just take that first step. Again, it, that first step is scary. Sometimes the second step is scary. But it's worth it. It is so worth it. I want you to doubt your doubts. As the enemy, sometimes the lies are louder than the truth. <laughs> speak truth into those lies. How we do that, we stay in God's word. We've got to know truth so we can speak to the lie. But doubt your doubts. Step out in obedience. God tells you to do something, just, just do it. You know, for those that are parents in this room, you get it. You tell your kids, hey, go clean your room. You expect them to do it. You're not being a mean parent. You just know what's best for them. If God's telling you to do something, it's for your good and his glory. That's what it's for. And then we have this promise that he is with us. He is with us in every single step. And so if I get all of you just to close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to ask everybody in this room, do you have who it takes do you have Jesus living inside of you? I'm not simply saying that you believe that Jesus rose from the, or he died and he rose from the dead. The scriptures say even the demons believe, right? I'm talking about have you fully surrendered your life to Christ? You laid your yes on the table. You, you surrendered all as that song, the old hymn, I surrender all. Have you done that? Acts 4.12, we saw that it says this, and says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven uh, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So your, your response is, Stanley, what must I do? What do I do? I got good news for you. It's already been done. It was done on the cross when he yelled out, It is finished. He's already did it. Salvation is a free gift. All you have to do is reach out and take it. It's surrender. Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So your response is, if you want to know Jesus today, you want to surrender your life to him, it's simple as ABC. That first A is admit. Admit that you're a sinner. You can do that right now. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need saving. I need a Savior. And then B, it says to believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he died on the cross and he raised from the dead. So you could do that right now. Lord, I believe. I believe that you, you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. And you raised him from the dead. And then lastly, the C is confess with your mouth that he is Lord. A lot of people want Savior. Not a lot of people want a Lord. Having a Lord is surrendering your life.
to Christ. Laying your yes on the table. So if you've prayed that prayer, Scripture says that you're saved. And today that you're a new creation. And I'm going to ask you to just step out in faith. But all I want you to do, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to lift your hand. That way I can pray for you. I won't ask you to come to the front. I won't embarrass you. I just want to see so I can know and I can pray for you and I can have our staff praying for you. So if you prayed that prayer, you just asked Jesus to come into your life and you surrendered all, would you just just simply raise your hand? Amen. Amen. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. So Lord, I thank you. As we close, Lord, I just want to give you praise and honor, God, that you continue to add to your number day by day those are being saved. And I thank you for my sister that raised her hand, God. They just surrendered. That just went from dead to life. She's a new creation, God. And I just pray over her and anybody else that, that just didn't have the boldness to raise their hand, God. I just pray for their next step, which is a step of obedience, which is baptism, that they would take that next step. And, God, they will continue to take step after step after step with you. God, and I just thank you. I thank you for what you've done in this room uh, this morning, God. I thank you for what you're going to continue to do in your body and your people, God. And I just thank you that we do have who it takes to do what you've called us to do. And I thank you for that promise, God, that you will go with us. So, Lord, we love you, and I thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.